if you're in a lecture hall and you're pres- or you're in, even in a small classroom and you're presenting in the dark with the slide deck on the screen, you may not be able to see those things coming from the students. You may not see those eyes glaze over. You may not see that look of confusion. And so the physical and verbal cues. Yeah. So you can have a huge amount of transactional distance where you're just completely disconnected despite being three feet away from a student. You're listening to Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. In this episode, we will be discussing instructor presence and what it looks like in both the online and in-person classroom. Most students enjoy interaction with their instructor, and not only for instructional reasons, but for the emotional support that comes from such a social contact. Instructor presence allows for a feeling of connectedness and is a vehicle through which the instructor communicates the agenda, sets the tone of the course, guides instruction, and the expectations for success. Instructor presence is also a strong motivator. When students feel that their teachers are listening, they are more likely to contribute. Furthermore, students are inspired to achieve when their efforts are acknowledged and praised. There is no doubt that it is the students who are most affected by an instructor's investment, or lack thereof, in creating a presence in the classroom. Thus, it can be said that instructor presence is a fundamental and significant determiner of a successful learning experience. However, the age of the internet brings to the table new considerations as we are increasingly witness to the virtualization of the brick and mortar classroom. Educators and learners must now adapt and find new ways to achieve social presence in a digital environment where communication occurs via an artificial medium, namely your computer. Educators are tasked with reimagining how they can provide instructional and emotional support to a student that they may never actually meet face to face. Likewise, students are challenged to a curriculum of study by an instructor whose voice they may never hear, if only by pre-recorded lectures. And so it becomes apparent that the student-teacher relationship is one that not only involves mutual investment, but also a perception of that investment. So today we dive into theory and application of instructor presence in the in-person and online classroom. Welcome to this episode of Instruction by Design your podcast to the art of teaching. My name is Aaron Kraft from the Academic Innovation Team at Arizona State University, College of Nursing and Health Innovation. Joining me today are... Celia Katraitiwa. Jeanette Senecal. Stephen Crawford. All right. So I believe everyone in this room has played both the role of instructional designer and teacher. Is that correct? Yes. Very much so. Okay, so I would like to leverage these experiences in our discussion today. So with that in mind, I will pose the first question. Dr. Michael G. Moore formulated a theory he calls transactional distance, defined as a psychological and communications gap, a space of potential misunderstanding between the inputs of instructor and those of the learner. In your experience, what does a psychological and communications gap look like in the context of an in-person and virtual classroom? Well, easily in an in-person classroom, it looks like the teacher talking and maybe a student just staring in space. It could also go the other direction. The student might be talking and the teacher is looking into space. That, to me, is the biggest gap you can find in a classroom. 
sometimes I think of that also as a, a gap of assumption, um, seeing situations in which you might have a basic assumption of foundational knowledge level in your students um, that's not quite correct and trying to figure out how to work around that once you sort of get the feel for that. You know, one of the things about an online course that brought transactional distance to the conversation is the fact that a faculty member cannot see their students react to the readings, the lectures, whatever is being done. So they, they, they don't feel that they know if they're getting it or not. Um, and so, and the student may be frustrated at, Hey, I, I don't understand what's going on. I don't know how to explain this. And then you have to wait two or three days to have an email replied to, but in the face-to-face -face context, it can be the exact same thing almost. We always go, but I can see the students. I can see their eyes glaze over and their heads cocked back and their mouths open like dead fish going, I don't get this. Um, you know, it, at the same time, if you're in a lecture hall and you're or you're in, even in a small classroom and you're presenting in the dark with the slide deck on the screen, you may not be able to see those things coming from the students. You may not see those eyes glaze over. You may not see that look of confusion. And so the physical and verbal cues. Yeah. So you can have a huge amount of transactional distance where you're just completely disconnected despite being three feet away from a student. Okay. So I guess this begs the question, does physical presence necessarily equate with psychological or emotional connection? I think the assumption is yes, mm -hmm. but I think it's a wrong assumption. I agree. I think it comes down to, a lot of it comes down to how do you make the other person feel in regards to their uh, comfortability. In fostering a comfortable level of communication to allow someone to take the risk of maybe asking questions, clarifying questions, so that both parties can understand whether you're the teacher or the student. Um, I know as an instructor, sometimes you can't, you don't always understand exactly what the student is saying just in their questioning because you're not understanding where it is that they're lost. You or sort of have confused. to unwrap the question. Yes. Like you have to sort of assume or guess what they're trying to get at. And if, you know, if you know your students well, you can maybe pinpoint what they're actually trying to say even before they do. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the guidance as a teacher. Like, oh, you're trying to ask this question. Let me reword that for you. Yeah, I think that psychological safety component is really important. Mm -hmm. And it's it's true, too, that some students who just don't have that level of comfort in a face-to-face -face environment may be more comfortable online. They may find their voice in a different way that's a better fit for them um, so that they can get to that point of a better connection with peers and their instructors. Finding your voice online. I really like that. And one of my favorite aspects of being an online student, I got my graduate degree through an online program. So uh, it, all the classes were online except for one hybrid course. I really appreciated how I had time to sit and ponder the questions posed by the instructor in the discussion forum. And I know discussion forums have uh, a mixed reputation, but well, I do. Well, they're used sometimes correctly and sometimes not. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> True. That's part of it, absolutely. I, d I really did appreciate being able to think and consider uh, the point or consider the question, dive into the text, go look on Google, find some uh, scholarly work that was related to it, be able to sit over days and actually contribute a thoughtful and meaningful response instead of 
I felt there was a pressure in the face-to-face environment where I had to know it now and I had to answer that question right now. And if somebody was more talkative or more outgoing than me, well, there goes my shot of contributing. I would agree. And I feel like I'm the same way. Um, I've done programs online and then, of course, programs face-to-face. And I, I feel exactly the same way. I like being able to take some time to really think about a an answer before giving it. I'm not, I don't tend to be a quick think on my feet type of person. So I feel like those online, um, the online courses or the discussion boards online, I work better with than the ones that are face to face. But I also feel like the instructor does have some part in that in just even thinking about their own questioning style when it comes to an online question. Are they giving questions that feed more um, more conversation? Are they in a conversational tone? Or are they more uh, basic questions that just kind of have a almost a right or wrong answer feeling to them? Does that make sense? Exactly, this is bringing it back to instructor presence. How well thought out are the questions? Are they eliciting a meaningful response from the students. See, in this context, it seems like good instructor presence promotes good student presence. You know, that's an interesting point. I think a lot of times, now I'm going to start with the face-to-face environment, where even if the faculty member does not say, I have a lot to cover, but they give off that sense of, boy, do I have a lot to cover, so please do not slow me down. Mm. I need to get through this as fast as I can, whether you get it or not. When you say, I have a lot to cover, you're almost saying, please don't interrupt. I've got a lot to say here. Um, And that's especially true if you're relying heavily on a lecture model. If you are moving those lectures to the online environment, either because you're flipped, hybrid, or fully online, then you need to make sure you provide some sort of opportunity for students to be able to ask those questions and understand that there's an opportunity for them. And that's where I think you can get into some cultural discussions on the student side, because some students are much more comfortable asking questions because of their cultural upbringing than other students. Some students are much more comfortable challenging and asking questions. Mm. Um, And that's something I think is a very important thing to consider is, is your students and how you ask for questions. So if you say, did everybody get that? You're pretty much saying, if you didn't, you're a dummy. But if you go, okay, Tell me which part of this you didn't understand the most. What was the muddiest thing here? What could you, you know, now you're giving more permission to to not understand something. So there's really a lot to that nuance on how you present yourself and ask those questions. I almost feel like that kind of goes to or makes a connection with active learning, but in the sense of being an active teacher, You know, you have lectures and a teacher can easily throw out a lecture and tell what they know. But when you're thinking about it actively, exactly what you were saying about how you question, how you how you set up your your students to learn in just thinking about the process of your teaching. I feel like that's a more active approach than just kind of a let me tell them everything I know and get it done quickly so that I can get all of my content in. It's almost a one-way communication at that point. Yes. So in terms of physical presence, it sounds like you guys are saying it's not absolutely necessary to be physically present to have 
a uh, emotional or psychological connection with the students, but you, maybe you need to be an active instructor regardless of the online or in-person context. Would that be fair? Yeah, yeah. I'd say that. I mean, mm -hmm. I think about the online courses I've taught as well, where I think I've had more connection to some of the students online than I've had in a face-to-face -face environment. You know, in a face-to-face -face environment, the student walks in the classroom, they walk out, maybe they talk to you on the way in, maybe they don't. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of things going on. In an online course, providing multiple opportunities, some students will take it. Some, a lot of students may not, and that's that's to be expected. Uh, so having those online office hours is like, look, I will have this. I'll have this Google Hangout. I'll have this video conferencing tool. I'll have this open. I will be sitting here, and yeah, I might be working on something else until someone actually drops in. But it's open, open channel. Come on in. I want to go in that direction a little bit. Um, let's think back to uh, actual experiences that we've had, maybe as a student or an instructor. Um, can you think of a time when you've noticed, either within yourself or classmates or as the teacher, a psychological distance occurring in the, in the classroom? I can think of one for myself. I was an instructor for several years. I taught English uh, in Asia, and I spent two years at a public high school in Japan. And I spent the first year lecturing. It was a lecture-based approach, and I didn't know any better. It was my first year to teach. And I was supposed to be an assistant language teacher, but the head teacher for that year was sleeping in the back of the classroom, which could basically give away how successful my experience was, right? I mean, you could tell right away that the students are going to take their cues from him, and they didn't take me very seriously. On top of it being a sort of lecture-based approach where I didn't include the students in the curriculum, but rather I spoke at them. And then I was disappointed when they weren't motivated and they would end up sleeping in class as well, just like the other teacher. Well, the second year, luckily, we switched. I, I had a different head instructor who was actually a very, very smart. He was very clever. He had the students form groups. And... Within the groups, we would spend the first day lecturing and then they would take the material that we gave them and come up with a presentation, a dialogue using the English terms and phrases. And then that was the second day. And then the third day they would present and we would, as a class would watch the presentations and then review it together. And then their grade was based upon a sort of a cumulative score. And all of a sudden I had students who wanted to they wanted to have fun with their friends. And if it meant goofing off in front of the class speaking a little bit of English, so be it. But guess what? They were in front of the class speaking English. And so I, this was the first time I realized, oh, there was a huge gap before. I, I, there was a huge, I think, presence gap, not only from my side, but from the student side as well. Any, any sort of similar experiences? I know we have a lot of cumulative uh, experience as instructors between the four of us. I have an experience as a student in an online oh. course. In a graduate level course, um, I was sort of the oddball out across the student population because the rest were primarily um, elementary level educators already, and they had um, been focused in their own classrooms. So they had sort of a different perspective than somebody who was focused in higher education, somebody who was working um, more often with faculty than as a faculty member, and the one of the preliminary um, assignments in the course was to develop sort of your own learning contract and to set your goals and um, to analyze what you really wanted to get out of the course, which, you know, I thought very carefully about and, and worked through and turned it in. 
And the instructor basically sent it back and said it was wrong. Okay. <laughs> it deviated basically from the entire point of the class, and I had to redo the entire assignment and make fake goals, which had no bearing on my actual experience in the course. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, as you can imagine, I, I basically checked out because there was no reason anymore to take her feedback in that case or the overall construction of the course very seriously. It was no longer personally relevant to you. Exactly. So let's go on to the next question here. Uh, how can an instructor create a safe environment that allows students to be comfortable participating or even taking risks? You know, I think part of it is, again, we'll come back to instructor presence. It's about, and I'm going to add the word investment to it, and being socially, emotionally invested in what's going on. And, and for the face-to-face class, this is going to be very hard for faculty um, because you have to be on 100% the entire time. Whereas with an online course, if you're not on, you just don't log on for that hour, you know, uh, and it's, you know, you can spread that on time very easily in an online course to different parts of the day. And if you have, if you draw an assignment where you're teaching at seven thirty in the morning, eight o'clock in the morning, and you're not a morning person, that's really difficult sometimes as a face-to-face faculty member, because you're now teaching when you have to be on and you're least likely period to be on. Mm-hmm. And, so I think that's a very important piece is to, to know yourself and to know how to, to manage yourself so that you can be fully invested in what's going on in the classroom and prepared, you know, and prepared for it to go somewhere else. The flexibility of online, I think, is one of its biggest benefits for both the instructors and the, the students. Yeah, you don't have to be at a certain place at a certain time necessarily, especially, for example, at ASU, the, the online courses here are asynchronous. That means... People don't meet at the same time, even in a virtual space. Well, one more thing I want to add is that, you know, I think it's also important to recognize in an online course how easy it is to go off the rails where, you you know, let's say you're sick and you're fighting a cold. And so now you don't have to worry about being in the classroom because that would be bad to be in a classroom teaching in a face-to-face environment. But in the online environment, you're like, okay, I had an assignment due last night. I have, I told the students I'll grade within 48 hours. I'm not feeling that great. I won't do it this morning. I'll do it this afternoon after I recuperate some. And then this afternoon turns into this evening mm-hmm. and this evening turns into tomorrow morning. And then the next thing you know, you're up the 48 hour deadline of getting that information back to your students. And now you're feeling stressed. What do I do now? How do I manage this problem? Because the students, they've seen you vanish now. And if you've not been communicating going, I'm finding a cold, I'm, I'm trying to respond to email as fast as I can. I'm trying to get things graded as fast as I can. But the students don't know that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then you've vanished and you've checked out on them as far as they're concerned. So I think communicating um, is a very important thing with an online course. And it's like, look, I'm going to miss this goal of being able to respond quickly, and here's why. Or, you know, I'm traveling to a conference and I'm going to be on a plane for four hours. So don't expect anything during this period because I'll be at the airport before and after. And all the, you know, communicating, I think, is very important. And, and I think the same thing applies in, in all environments for teaching. Right. I think you highlight how critical immediate feedback is, particularly in an online environment. Communication is really important. How much transparency is too much, do you think? And that's going to be different for each person. Um, I mean, there, you know, Am I going to share that, oh, I'm, I'm running this marathon or I'm going to go on this trek or I'm going to do all these great, cool things? 
No, because that's my personal time and that's what I do. Um, sometimes when I go to a conference, if it's a critical time for the students and I know they need slash want immediate feedback, I think I'd be a little bit transparent. Um, but if I'm going to a conference and I know I'm going to have an opportunity every morning and every evening to do things, how's that different from working from home? You know, when I do every morning and every evening anyway. So I think it, I think I, I'm only transparent when I think it calls for it, where whatever I'm doing is going to potentially interfere with student success. Ah, based on the impact level. Yes. Great. Okay. So Randy Garrison, Terry Anderson, and Walter Archer expanded on John Dewey's community of inquiry model to include a framework which describes how learning takes place in an online environment through the educational transactions that occur at the intersection of social, instructor, and cognitive presences. So instructor presence is further broken down into three parts, and I want to focus on one in particular, instructional design. So we're all instructional designers in here. How can instructional design promote instructor presence? You know, looking at the Venn diagram that's often accompanied with this description of the model, I think instructional design, some of its strongest potential is at the intersections of these domains. The, the Venn diagram I often look at shows where cognitive presence and social presence comes together as supporting discourse. So how do you design your course to support discourse? When you think of teaching presence and cognitive presence intersecting, that's often the content you select. So how does, how does that come into play? And then when you think of teaching presence and social presence intersecting, that's setting the climate, some of the stuff we were talking about earlier. And then, of course, all those items intersecting together is the educational experience itself. Mm -hmm. So I think it's it's about how we we play those intersections. In some ways, I think about that as structure. I mean, that's a little superficial, but being organized and having a structure that's aligned to the learning outcomes of the course makes such a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Students have a strong perception if things are going more or less in a smooth way. And first impressions at least for me, I mean a lot. When I would go into a course for the first time, I could tell right away, is this a mess or is it well organized? And if it's well organized, that gives me faith that the instructor is putting their time into designing this. They're putting their time into the course structure and organization. And to me, that was meaningful. And it reduced my anxiety as a learner. I think when you're designing a course, if you're designing it, to promote instructional um, presence, then you're designing it to have a delivery of instructional presence. If you're conscious of that when you're developing the content, then you're naturally going to have it, at least the beginning parts of it, set up to where the rest of it is more in the delivery and continuing with it. You mean, for example, conceptualizing the course before it even starts, having a strong conception and build of the course before the, the first day of class. Yes. If you are consciously developing for a course that is designed to have um, and foster communication and um, collaboration, then you're, you're developing that, that um, groundwork that will easily lend itself as long as the instructor continues with it throughout the course, 
then you're you're promoting instructor presence throughout as well as student presence. You're setting yourself up for success, basically. So instructor presence occurs even before the class begins. The building of instructor presence occurs before the first day of class even. Oh, definitely. Mm -hmm. If you take into account uh, what online learning was 20 years ago, it was often read the book, go read my PowerPoint slides. And if you actually had some advanced system, you might have a discussion board, but odds are it was a quiz or a paper. And that was it one week after the other. There was no course design for instructor presence. There was no... You know, is like email me if you have questions was was pretty much the level of instructor presence. So as you think about course design and how with all the tools we have today, I hate to say this, we haven't advanced too much in say the last 12 to 15 years. I mean, we now have an LMS that has a discussion board and that's probably the biggest advance that most people leverage. Now, to be fair, other folks have added some really great tech and have created some really great interactions with lots of great tools. But if we look at the basics, and I'm going to hit the discussion board uh, card again, that the discussion board 15 years ago was read, read the PowerPoint slides, answer a question on the discussion board. The question may be, a, it may have actually been a substitute for the paper, which meant there was no conversation. It wasn't a conversational question. It was just, so what do you think about this? And there was no conversation about what it means to your context or any other creative way that you could create discourse. And so now as we've gotten better with course design, we are, we are hopefully designing better discussion board questions, but yet we're still having to enforce student participation in them. So we'll say, oh, you must now have your initial post by this day and time. It must be X number of words, and you must have APA citations in some cases. Um, and then you must have at least two response posts by this second date, and they must be 300 words each. And you can't just go, I agree. You've got to actually further the conversation. So we have all these requirements on what we think conversation looks like. That's very mechanical. It is not natural at all, but yet we want a natural conversation. Well, doesn't the course need some structure? Oh, it definitely does. And, and actually where I want to go with this is even if those are your requirements, and let's say it, you know, that promotes instructor presence, then there's course delivery. And the course delivery point is when does the instructor become part of that conversation? When do they participate in that discussion? When do they ask questions to make sure that people are paying attention and maybe thinking about something they hadn't thought about yet? Do they do if they do it too soon, it actually detracts from the conversation. If they don't do it at all or too late, then the students will miss the entire conversation and think the instructor's not present and not participating. And I think that's a very important thing is that the delivery part, you could have a very well-designed course, but you can still have a poor delivery. And you can have a poorly designed course, and a good delivery can help rescue it. Instructor presence as directing student discourse and discussion. Yes, as well as other activities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I would agree with that, and I think that goes back to my thought on active teaching in the idea that just because you have this this groundwork started in the design doesn't mean that you can sit back and just let it happen. You have to be actively teaching and part of those conversations, like you were saying, to continue to foster the communication, especially get to get the type of answers that you're wanting. You have to be engaged. Yes. And, and you know, and to a degree, you have to also surrender being the expert in the room. 
I think about, I mean, thinking when, as you were talking, I was thinking about a model where students, they ask a question of an instructor and that now that instructor has two questions or two, I'm sorry, two options from this point. They can either answer the question or they could reflect it to another student. All right. That's a great question. What do you think about that? And pass it around and then see what the student believe that answer is. And if they're on the right track, recognize it. If they're on the wrong track, guide them towards where they need to be. And and that way they can be more of a guide as opposed to an expert. Yes. Instructor as the guide versus stage on the stage. The stage on the stage. Isn't that truly, Stephen, what you're saying, a learner-centered approach to course design? I think that sounds quite familiar. So as we near the end of the show, I would like to offer some immediately useful tips to anybody that has stayed with us for this long. Tapping into the collective wellspring of knowledge found in this room, what are some practical tips that you know for establishing instructor presence in an online or in-person classroom context? I'll go first with an in-classroom context. One that I've really come to enjoy um, is sort of a class wrapper approach where at the end of every course session, there's a reflective question or or a prompt. Um, sometimes this takes the form of, of a traditional kind of formative assessment, muddiest point, whatever, either written or if the students are working with their computers in the classroom, perhaps they're actually doing it right in the learning management system. And that serves two purposes. One, it gives me an opportunity to, again, formatively assess what occurred during the class in that period. But then the next part of it is every class then starts with a summary and a follow-up conversation so that we can get right back into the threads. If there were misunderstandings or if supplementary... um, assignments need to be generated, whatever the case may be, taking that class wrapper and moving it right into the next class has has been very effective in, in developing some of that presence and making sure that students have the sense that they are heard. Mm-hmm. And reflection is a, a key component to a deeper learning experience. I think in the online course, providing opportunities for the students to hear the instructor's voice, whether it's through video or through audio, I think that helps give a presence for the, um, an instructor presence for the students in a way that just reading text doesn't. Um, if you think about just text, Texting someone you know in general doesn't always get the message across the right way. It's so easy to misinterpret text. Exactly. So I think any opportunity that the instructor can take that allows their actual voice to be heard or seen helps a lot. Along with, um, like Stephen was talking about before, being present within discussions and um, being part of those conversations and not just relying on the students to reply to posts, um, but actually being part of those posts as well. I would like to add to the online context as well. I found that having multiple avenues of communication, not only between student and instructor, but also for between student and student, is very helpful in relieving some of the pressure and tension and anxieties that can build up naturally through a course, let alone an online course. My tip would be to try to include as many avenues of communication as possible. I'm going to add something that works for both face-to-face and online, and that is know your students. You know, we talk about in the face-to-face classroom, a lot of, a lot of institutions have the student photo IDs as part of the course roster. 
while I'm not saying you have to memorize all the student names, at least try to as best as you can and, and learn something about the students so that when you are having conversations in class and a topic comes up, that student may not choose to speak up, but you know to hand off to that student because that is a passion of theirs, but they may not be the type who raises their hand first. Or if they actually did raise their hand first among three other people, go to them first because it's their passion and maybe they don't speak up very often. In the online classroom, we often have these uh, discussion boards or some sort of activity where the students introduce themselves and say who they are and what their, what their hobbies are and, and what, their, what drives them. And that's usually the last time it's ever discussed. But if you can go, but it's an artifact in your course, I would say go back to it every so often. And then in future discussion boards and conversations in your course, go, wait a minute, aren't you into this topic? Aren't, isn't this something that's a passion of yours? What's your thought of that? And that way you can use that material and help drive the, help drive the course for, more forward in a socially conscious way. As you were saying earlier, it's an investment. It's an instructor investment into the student's education and to yeah, the students themselves. Exactly. And I think a lot of students, especially in the online environment, have gotten used to that introdu introduce yourself discussion board being the only time that anything will be talked about about themselves. And if you can actually bring that and if you actually show that's an artifact that comes back later in the course, they may actually start seeing your intentional design to keep artifacts moving forward in the course from other activities. And so tying things together like that and, and get, using that to get to know your students, I think, is a really interesting and, and beneficial thing to do. I have a simple tip to add on to that thought for the online environment, especially useful if you're working in a high enrollment course where, you know, maybe you're looking at 100 students uh, or more. Um, every time you provide a feedback statement, whether that's in the grade book or even in a discussion forum post, always start with the student's name in your statement. It makes a huge difference. It really promotes that idea that you know who they are. And in particular, um, if you do have students completing like an introductory discussion board post, if they offer a nickname, write it down. Have a paper copy of your roster or whatever you need to do. Note that they prefer that shortened form or nickname and use that in your feedback comments. It makes a huge difference. There you go. Learn your students' names. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I hope you have enjoyed this episode of Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. I would like to remind everyone that we merely graze the surface of establishing instructor presence in the in-person and online classroom. And if you would like to learn more, please check out the show notes for more information on the community of inquiry model and transactional distance theory. I would also like to give a big thanks to our listeners for joining us today in our conversation with Jeanette Senecal, Celia Kuchwaitiwa, Stephen Crawford, and myself, Aaron Kraft. And a special thanks to our producer, we call him the wizard because he's the man behind the curtain making it all happen, Ricardo Leon. Thank you and good night. You can reach us on Twitter at IBD underscore podcast. That is IBD as an in instruction by design underscore podcast. Or you can email us at instructionbydesign at asu.edu. To find previous episodes, please visit our website at links.asu.edu slash IBD underscore podcast. This podcast was produced by Arizona State University's College of Nursing and Health Innovation.